With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, out. I it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 40 million high-quality stock images, Shutterstock helps take your creative projects to the next level. New accounts will receive 20% off any image subscription. Go to Shutterstock.com and use offer code COLLIDER914. This week's story is from Edward Frankel. The story was recorded in September 2014 at the National Museum of Mathematics in New York City. So, what can I tell you? Um, I grew up in a small town in Russia. It was called Kolomna. I was a good student. Um, I was a straight-A student, but mathematics was my least favorite subject. It's, it's true. I thought, you know, it was easy, but I thought it was so boring and stale and irrelevant. Because... All I knew about mathematics was what they taught me at school, and I didn't find it very exciting. What really excited me was physics, quantum physics, how the world works. What could be more exciting, more fascinating? But I was lucky when I was 15, I met someone who was a mathematician and who opened the doors into this beautiful world, the hidden reality of mathematics. He asked me, so you are interested in elementary particles? And I said, yes. And he said, but do you know how physicists came up with these ideas, how they theorized this particle and that particle? I read some popular books, but I didn't really know. So he pulled a book from a shelf, and he opened. And I saw some beautiful diagrams and formulas and equations. I couldn't understand any of them. But it was clear that there was this amazing coherent story which told which could tell me the story of the world. And so I fell in love with math at that moment. I realized that there was something which I had no idea even existed. And so a year after that, my last year at high school, I was working with this guy. He gave me books to read. And I was doing kind of high-level math, the kind of stuff that people do normally in college or in graduate school. So when time came to apply to universities, it was clear what I should do. I should study pure math. I was in love with the subject. And uh, the only place to do that, um, in my neighborhood, so to speak, I grew up, my town was near Moscow, about 70 miles away, was Moscow State University, MGU. It's, it's Department of Mathematics and Mechanics, called in Russian, Mehmat, was the flagship, really, um, mathematics program in the Soviet Union. The year was 1984. Remember Orwell? <laughs> I was 16 years old. 
don't try to do the calculation in your head now. Because you know, you know what? It's not about numbers. It's about how you feel. Trust me. 1984, I applied to this school, to this program, and I was very excited. And I received a, le a letter in the mail, because before that I was studying in a correspondence school, so I, I was in a small town, I di we didn't have any math programs, any math schools, but I was studying in a correspondence school, so I would get letters from the school, they would have some material and some problems to solve and so on. And uh, I received a letter and I said, if you want to apply to Moscow University, to Mehmat, come and see us. So I was very happy, I thought, okay, I'll go and uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll talk to these people and they will give me advice. So I go there to this office, and uh, I'm led to this, to this woman, and she asked me, what's your name? And I say, uh, Edward Frankel. Well, it's Eduard. In Russian, it's Eduard. Eduard Frankel. And she said, uh-huh. And um, what's your nationality? Why is she asking me that? In Russia, in the Soviet Union in those days, nationality was something which was recorded in your passport. It was the fifth line in the passport after your first name, your patronymic name, your last name, and the date of birth. I said, I'm Russian. And she said, that's what was written in my passport. But she said, uh-huh. And what about your mother? She's Russian. What about your father? He's Jewish. Uh-huh. Do you know, she said, that you will not be accepted to Moscow University? Why is that? Because you're Jewish. So what are you trying to tell me? I said, I, I was shocked. She said, I'm just trying to help you. You shouldn't even try. You should withdraw your documents and not even try. I thought about this. I went home. I talked to my parents. Being Jewish was not something that, you know, is meant here in this country, it, it's not, nothing to do with religion. My father was not religious at all. I was not brought up in the religious tradition. Religion, in fact, was almost non-existent in the Soviet Union in those days. It was really about, about ethnicity, about blood. That's how they thought of me. But I thought, you know, I'm so good. I know math so well. How can they possibly not accept me? That would be absurd. I'm going to try anyway, and I'm going to prove to them that I can do it. The first exam was uh, written mathematics. In the Soviet Union in those days, you had to take exams. The first was a written, written math. There were five problems, and the fifth problem was considered to be unsolvable, very difficult. I solved everything. Mindful of what this woman told me, I checked all my solutions very carefully. I made sure that every step was in there in the solution, that they could not find anything, anything wrong with it. I was very happy about it. And I went with sort of in, in good spirits to my second exam, which was an oral test in mathematics. I came. There were maybe 15 students in a room like this. There was a table, and the, and the uh, questions were on, on, on a piece of paper. We called them tickets. It's like a lottery ticket. You pull your, your lottery ticket. I knew all this stuff back and forth. I didn't really care what ticket I would get. And I picked it. And immediately, I knew the answers. There were two questions. I knew the answers. I raised my hand right away. There were four or five examiners in the room. And they were supposed to come to you and take the exam. 
But they wouldn't come to me. They looked right straight through me as if I wasn't there. Hmm, that was interesting. I, one of them passed by and I asked him, why are you not talking to me? He kind of averted his eyes and he said, I'm not allowed to. Up until that moment, all of this, I guess all of this, I, I, I thought maybe this was an imagination of that woman. Maybe it's not really going to happen. Everything be fine. That's when I realized it's not going to be fine. I was indeed in this bad dream, and it's not going to end anytime soon. In the meantime, the examiners were, were coming and taking questions, taking the exams from other kids. I was clearly the only one they chose to ignore. And then it, I understood why, because one hour into the exam, two men entered the room, and they asked people at the table, and they pointed at me. My inquisitors arrived, and they came to my table. So, one of them said very cheerfully, what have we got here? What's your first question? It was about a circle inscribed in a triangle. What's the definition of a circle, he said. A circle set of points on a plane equidistant from a given point, I said. Wrong, he said very cheerfully. How could this be wrong? It's a set of all points equidistant from a given point, he said. And on it went. Ask me to define everything that was mentioned in the, in the questions. He would ask me to define them. And that would lead to another concept, another definition. And next thing, I was trying to explain the fifth postulate of Euclid, which is not even in the school program. Why was I doing this? In retrospect, maybe the, the best course of action would be to just say, no, stop this game. You don't allowed to ask, you're not allowed to ask me this kind of questions. But I was 16 years old. They were 20 years my senior. They were the examiners, the officials of Moscow University where I wanted to become a student. So I followed their orders and I was answering those questions. Same thing happened with the second question. And um, not one answer was accepted as correct. And they basically made me recite the whole calculus book, which was not, again, even in the program. Three hours into the exam, three and a half maybe, all the other kids were gone. They said, okay, uh, now we ask, you, we ask you to solve a problem. Give me a problem. And this was really one of those problems which then later I realized they cultivated the whole art of this what they called in Russian, problemy grabby, the problems coffin, the coffin problems. It was a coffin that they wanted to put me in with these problems. And those problems were, they looked like they were easy. The formulation was simple, but the solution, very hard. Impossible for a kid, you know, of that age, for a, for a graduate of high school. They came to me and uh, one of them said, you know, we, ju we just talked to the, to the chairman of the admissions committee and he said, why are you wasting your time on this guy? And he said, look, you showed me a document in which they listed what happened. was a recording that. I didn't even see them recording. So they didn't answer the first question. 
So we put a minus. And the second question, okay, you said some things, we put minus plus. You didn't solve the first problem, you didn't solve the second problem, you didn't solve the third. So we see we had nothing. We would like to help you, but we can't. We have to fail you. I said, can I see my written test? They showed me the written test. And um, five problems were solved. Correct solutions, correct answers, but there were comments everywhere. As if someone was pulling a, a practical joke on me. Somewhere was written, square root of eight is greater than two. And the comment was, why? Did not prove. <laughs> so I knew it was over. They asked me, aren't you going to appeal? There was an appeals board, but what would be the point? They could get me on the next two exams, physics and uh, literature composition. But also, why should I, I thought, why should I be, why, sh why should I try, try to be in a place which is doing everything in their power to keep me away from it? I said, no, I'm not going to appeal. I just want to just draw my documents and I want to, to leave. It was after five, four, four and a half hour exam. They became very happy. Less trouble for them. Okay, one of them said, I'll, I'll go with you and uh, I'll, I'll get the documents for you from the, from the admissions committee offices. And we were in the together and entered the elevator. The doors closed. Just the two of us. Suddenly he broke out of character. And he said, wow, that was a very impressive performance. Did you study in a special mathematical school? I said, no. I grew up in a small town. We didn't have any mathematical schools. Are your parents mathematicians? No, they're engineers. Wow. That was really an incredible performance. Congratulations. <laughs> what could I say to this guy after this grueling almost five-hour unfairly administered discriminatory exam. He's giving me compliments and what, expecting me to open up to him. I was just standing there, stunned. He said, you know what? Let me give you an advice. You should go, there's only one school in Moscow which takes people like you. Jews, that is. It's, an oil, it's called oil and gas university, you should apply there. The doors of the elevator opened, we came out, he brought me my documents, my, my trophies, my, my high school trophies from math competitions, things like that. And with this file, I went downstairs and came out on this giant staircase of Moscow State University. And I saw two small figures perched on the, on the staircase, down below, my parents. By the look on my face and this folder I was holding, they, they knew what happened. So we went home. I did apply to the oil and gas. But I knew at that moment, you know, something, I had a dream and Oil and gas did not have a pure math program. I didn't know that I would be able to do what I wanted to do and what I was 
in love with mathematics. I was lucky. I was lucky. There were very generous people who found me and who rescued me, really rescued me. They took me under the, their wings. They mentored me. They helped me to do my first original research when I was still an undergraduate. So the story has a happy ending. By the time I finished um, university, um, 21, I was invited to Harvard as a visiting professor. My, my works were known, became known. And but you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about this, about the story, and uh, about what really happened. It took me, I think it took me many years to really come to terms with it. And what I see clearly now, which I did not really see before, is that it, it was torture. I was tortured by these people, and not only me. Not only me, it's not just about me. The reason I want to tell you the story is not because of me, because my story does have a happy ending, so I can, we can, I can be happy and, and say, you know, it's all fine. But hundreds and thousands of others, other kids, innocent, innocent kids who had done nothing wrong, who were in love with math, with the subject the way I was, who wanted nothing more than to pursue their dream. They, they crashed that dream, that machine, that system, for no reason other than hatred and bigotry and prejudice, the hatred of the other, of the different. So it was torture of me and countless others, and then they left me to die. They left me to die, but I did not die, and I survived because of math. Because I was in love with math. And I knew that this was a subject which those bigots could not touch. Because mathematics is a world of its own, full of elegance and beauty, where bigotry and prejudice and hatred has no place. And that's what helped me survive, to survive. Imagine that, a subject which unfortunately most of us think of as, as the most boring and stale and lifeless of subjects. And I thought that myself. That subject saved my life. Thank you very much. That was Edward Frankel. Edward is a professor of mathematics at the University of California, Berkeley, which he joined in 1997 after being on the faculty at Harvard. He's a member of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, a fellow of the American Mathematical Society, and a winner of the Hermann Weyl Prize in Mathematical Physics. He's authored three books and over 80 scholarly articles in academic journals. His latest book, Love and Math, was a New York Times bestseller and has been named one of the best books of 2013 by both Amazon and iBooks. He's also co-produced, co-directed, and played the lead in the film Rights of Love and Math. 
This episode was supported by Shutterstock. At Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect image or video for your next creative project. You can choose from over 39 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips. They also have a wide range of science-related images and some lovely bits of math and writing on chalkboards. You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account. Once you decide to purchase, use offer code COLLIDER914 and new accounts will receive 20% off any image order. That's Shutterstock.com and for 20% off any image files with a new account, use offer code COLLIDER914. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. Also, we depend on listeners like you for our support. If you love the podcast, please consider donating at storycollider.org slash donate. This event was produced with MoMath, the National Museum of Mathematics. If you're in New York City, I would highly recommend visiting. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, and Ari Daniel. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to MoMath for hosting the show, to Cindy Lawrence and Glenn Whitney for extraordinary help producing the show, and to my college entrance exam for being the question of whether I should put a stamp on an envelope. Thanks for listening.